Good evening, and welcome to the Palace of Auburn Hills, home of the two-time NBA world champion, Detroit Pistons. And this year, home to the 1993 NBA Draft. Also, welcome to those gathered at our team headquarters across the country and to our national audience on TNT and NBA Radio. To all of you, thank you for being with us. The NBA team representatives have been briefed on the draft procedures. Everybody in the building knows what's going on, and our broadcasters will brief our fans. So let's get started. This week on The Sport Blokes, we haven't done one since late last year, so it's time for another NBA redraft. This time it's 1993 and we've enlisted the help of the Throwback Hoops boys, but they're honoring sport blokes because there's no bloody way I'm editing David Stern to say Throwback Hoops. Let's go! It's 6.44 here in Perth on Saturday the 9th of September 2023. Oh, it's and, not, well, it's, here, it's, it's not, it's, here I go, 8.45 in Sydney. That will become more apparent shortly. It's ticked over between the two. Now, don't panic if you're listening to this as soon as we've released it, and that's a bit after that date. This is another special episode. We just chucked the timestamp and date stamp in there in case anything happens between now and then when we release it, which might otherwise make you scratch your head and go, now, why didn't they bring this up? So, yeah, hopefully nothing too exciting happens between now and when we release the 1993 NBA redraft, following on from our previous NBA redraft episodes in 110, 117, and episode 131. Please check them out if you haven't already. Here we go for the 1993 NBA redraft. Now, compared to the other ones we've done, it's a much stronger class, and there's plenty of NBL connections and great stories too. So we thought, what better time than to bring our very special guest hosts onto the show and fellow NBA tragics, a very special welcome to the Throwback Hoops podcast boys, Woody V and Robbie C. Welcome aboard, lads. Great to have you on. What's up, guys? Thanks for having us, Nathan and Stewie. And it's, a, it's an honor to be welcomed onto the show again and really excited to chop it up with you guys. So much love. Okay, those sentiments by Woody. Yeah, we're pleased to be on. Looking forward to this. We love these um, redrafts that you guys do. Pleasure to have you on board, lads, too. Now... Before you get to the rules, Stewie, a bit of a tale of the tape about the draft more broadly. As you heard at the top, it was held at the Palace of Auburn Hills. And how classic was it that he used the phrase world champions in light of the recent Noah Lyles comments and the USA's loss to Germany in the World Cup? We'll talk about that more on another episode. Now, more of this one is on YouTube, so I have had a watch through. Admittedly, that was a little while ago. But the TNT crew this time will host Bob Neal with Doug Collins and Hubie Brown. The reason is that I, I think that I am extremely well-coordinated. I have the athletic talent. I have the foot speed. And then Craig Sager doing the player interviews. Now, I think seven countries were represented. USA, Germany, Netherlands, Romania, Slovakia, Argentina, and even the UK. The reason I say I think is because it currently lists Darnell Mee on Wikipedia as Australian, but that would have been a naturalisation that occurred long after 1993. So that might have been the case with a couple of the others as well. Speaking of Darnell, we have six different players from this draft class playing the NBL, if I'm not mistaken. Now, we'll get to that in our honourable mentions. We often mention that at the top, but because there's four of us, because there's a few more players and Darnell was such a star, I think we'll do that after we'll do our redrafts rather than at the top. As always, I have some strong feeling that some sneaky undrafteds will creep into our top 12. We'll do three picks each, so we'll do top 12. And one more thing, this draft also had the less, let's say, magical of the Irvin Johnsons. It did. 
on to the rules, Shui. Yeah, look, we'll keep it really, really simple. As I mentioned in the last redraft, we are but simple men. So there are just two rules. The first rule, we don't talk about Fight Club. <laughs> oh, no, no, wait, wrong set of rules. Sorry. <laughs> first rule is we don't look at the needs of each team at the time of the draft. For example, Orlando had the first pick again somehow. And after Shaquille O'Neal's incredible rookie season, they really didn't need a big, but that doesn't matter. It will purely be the best play we feel is left on the board at the time. And the second rule, as Nathan just mentioned, is we only draft to number 12 because between the four of us, with all the stories and information we've got, we'd be here until the 2024 draft otherwise. So Now, Orlando had the first pick in spite of having the lowest odds. Our odds were all the same. My lovely girlfriend, who you sometimes hear on our show, has picked the names out of the hat. Stewie, you have the honours. Our order will be Stewie, Woody, Robbie, and then myself. We won't reverse the order because it's not like NBA 2K where we're trying to balance the teams. We'll kind of have the same order of voices. Otherwise, uh, I'd be talking back-to-back picks. So, Stewie, David Stern's at the podium now. With the first pick in the 1993 NBA draft, the Orlando Magic select Chris Webber... The sport blows. Select. Now, before I reveal my draft pick, I do have to mention as well that the Orlando Magic's chances were one in 66. So incredible odds to to pull this number one out. I mean, there's absolutely no option other than Mace Edward, Christopher Webber III. What a ridiculous name, I'm sorry. <laughs> the, the only Hall of Famer in the list, five-time All-Star, one-time All-NBA first team, three-time All-NBA second team, one-time All-NBA third. He's potentially a little bit of a snub for the All-NBA at 75 team. I don't know if that's a that's maybe a thing, but potentially something to consider. Just one of these awesome back-to-the-basket guys, great mix of power and finesse, brilliant passer for his size, really unlucky not to have a championship. We often refer to that, uh, what, what is it, an uppercut that Kobe Bryant got away with on Mike Bibby in those uh, the conference finals. Well, not to mention Tim Donaghy and all the dodgy bullshit with the fouls, yeah. So, yeah, I think he's a very, very obvious choice at number one. What do you throw to you? What do you, uh, well, I wouldn't even say, what do you remember of Chris Webber? Obviously, he had an incredible career, but, you know, what are your thoughts on C-Webb? Yeah, look, just a great passing big man, right? He had great instincts, basketball IQ. Obviously, you remember the Fab Four fondly. That first year at Golden State, man, that team is very memorable to me. So I think, man, he had some injuries towards the end of his career, but he should be pretty proud of what he achieved throughout those years, so... Hey, Woods, you said the Fab Four, mate. I hope you weren't forgetting my boy Jimmy King, of course, as part of the Fab Sorry, Five. My bad. Fab yeah, Five, my bad. As you guys probably know, I was a huge Michigan fan growing up and I still sort of follow them now. So, yeah, look, I agree with everything you said there, Stu. He was just an amazing player, wasn't he? Um, It is a bit strange that he wasn't in that top 75. I know there's been, I don't know, maybe perhaps his college career, there's a few black clouds around that with some of the incidents and, and the things like that. But, no, he had an amazing career, um, someone I really liked um, to watch play as well. Yeah, well, there was always that talk about Dwight Howard being the biggest snub or you know, Clay Thompson dubbing himself the biggest snub. But I think if you look at the career and and I guess who Weber was playing against versus who Dwight Howard played against in his prime, you could certainly make a case for it. He was an incredible player. And uh, just, yeah, it's, it's good that he, he was able to, I guess, get past that horrible timeout situation at the end of that championship game against North Carolina and turn in, as we say, a, a Hall of Fame career. Now, we've talked about Chris Webber a fair bit before on one of our choke specials. I can't remember what bloody episode it was. I'll find out in the meantime. But I think 
he probably was maybe a snub. I'm not a massive Russell Westbrook fan. Stewie and I were talking a little before we hit record that maybe Westbrook's the one to make way for him. I think there's a bit of empty carbs with the Westbrook triple-doubles. Bill Walton's another one. Episode 102, that was. Great Sport Chokes 3. So we've done a lot of research on Weber, and we have talked about him a fair bit. Consensus number one pick. You can do this redraft a million times, and he'll always be number one, I think. So, yeah, a pretty obvious pick there. Fantastic player. Great passer, as you say, Woody. Played in a really strong Western Conference. You know, had he played in the East a bit longer, he obviously left Washington, had some issues there. So he had a bit of a rough start to his career. Had he played in the East longer, who knows? Maybe he would have won a championship. Maybe he would have won multiple. If there wasn't a bit of dodgy bullshit in the league wanting the Lakers to win, he probably wins a championship anyway as well. So, yeah, very outstanding player and an obvious pick. Probably remember him most fondly for his time with Sacramento, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah. yeah, very strong teams. And it's really interesting. One thing we did talk about in that choke special, the Golden State Warriors basically chose Nelly over him because they butted heads. And the funny thing is, it was about Nelly wanting to play him as a small ball five, which is perfect. He'd be a small ball five in today's NBA, I think. So it's really funny that he didn't want to play in a different time, obviously, 30 years ago now. So yeah, interesting. You've got the second pick, Woody. But first, David Stern. With the second pick in the 1993 NBA draft, the Philadelphia 76ers select Sean Bradley from Brigham Young University. The sport blows. Select. All right, with the second pick, I'm going to be a bit controversial here. Uh, maybe, maybe not. I'm going to take Sam Cassell. Yes! Sam, Sam yes, Woody! From Florida yes. State, right? Good boy. And I, I mean, like... <laughs> It'd be easy to pick Penny Hardaway here, but you talk about Cassell. And, and when, when we're drafting, we look back on what they've achieved, right? Some stats for you here. For his career, he averaged 15.7 points, six assists, 3.2 rebounds over 993 games, right? And Penny Hardaway, the other option here at, at number two, you know, he averaged, what, 15.2 points, five assists, 4.5 rebounds in 704 games. So you talk about Sam Cassell and, and what he did. He was a three-time NBA champion. You know, the first two at Houston and, and that final year at Boston. He was an NBA All-Star late in his career in 2004. And when you look back on Sam Cassell and, and the kind of instincts that he had, that IQ he had, he's gone on to become a great coach and a great mentor. And you look back and, and you think, like, if, if I could draft a guy who was another coach on the floor, you know, a guy who was a great leader, you'd go with Sam Cassell, right? I mean, Penny Hardaway, yes, he had a few good years, but after that injury, he was, what, fourth, fifth, sixth man on, on a lot of teams. You know, he wasn't he wasn't that guy that he was in that first few years. So I think Sutton Sammy, with what he achieved, the kind of uh, career he had, if you look back on it, you would take him as the second pick in, in, in that draft. I mean, what are your thoughts, guys? Maybe Stewie, I think you got something to say on that, right? Oh, he sure does. He's champion at the bits he'd get in here. <laughs> like before we hit record, we did have a little bit of a chat about this and I actually had Sam Cassell at number two as well. And this was something that Nathan has a very different school of thought. And Oh, no, I had him high. I just maybe not at two. Yeah. And that's fair enough. But I, I think the thing I loved about Sam Cassell, when you think about it, he's kind of Chris Paul light before Chris Paul. Absolute killer in the mid-range, really intelligent made teams better, one of those all-time irrational confidence sort of guys. Like I think back to game three of the 94 finals, the the Houston, New York, it's one all. Damn. 
in the garden. Yeah. They're down two with like 35, 40 seconds left, and Cassell hits that straightaway three to put him up by one. He's a frigging rookie, and yep. he takes that shot and makes it. And if the Knicks win that game, they probably win the series. So for him to have the confidence to step up and take that, I love that. And then, yeah, as we, we sort of spoke about, you know, the time in Minnesota, the Milwaukee to New Jersey time, he was excellent. And, yeah, great that he got a ring at the end of it. Pretty cool guy. I'll be honest, I completely forgot he got a ring at the end with Boston. So there you go. Yeah. And, of course, the big bollocks celebration, Robbie. How good was that, the Sam Cassell, Sam I Am celebrations? Yeah, he was definitely a fun character. Wasn't he? he was also pretty good in that movie, E.T., of course, the 80s movie. So he was, um, he's a star of that movie. But yeah. I've got to say I'm disappointed. I thought I might have been able to get him at number three and I was all, all ready to have a bit, of a bit of a chat about Cassell. But no, I think it's a, a good pick, Lawyer Woods. Yeah, and I mean, like, you talk about a guy who uh, he had a longevity, right? That's the difference between him and Penny Hardaway. And when you look back on that, I mean, you, you look fondly on some of the things that he did. He was a, he was a good uh, trash talker as well, right? Oh, Definitely yes. like to have a word. Yeah, sure it is. Yeah, the longevity is an interesting point. I think he had the most games in that entire draft class. So a a guy that was durable, you know, he played a lot of seasons, but he also played a lot of games in those seasons as well. And so many of the guys on these lists are snake bitten by injury and missed a ton of games. So it's interesting you say that. Well, that's right. Nearly a thousand games in the regular season and another 136 in the playoffs. So nearly another entire season in the playoffs. So it's season and a half. half, Yeah, yeah. yeah. So lots and lots of games. Yeah, his win well, share percentage boys as well was way higher than anyone else in that draft as well, which obviously he did play with a lot of great teams and it shows a lot about the man. I came across one really interesting fact. Sam Cassell coming up, he modelled his game on another player. The least likely player that you would think that he modelled his game on. Who do you think that was? Wilt Chamberlain. <laughs> <laughs> Me probably. Vinny Johnson. Jeff Honacek, man. Really? Ah, interesting. Yeah, man. Okay. <laughs> that was his guy. He loved him. He He's his favorite player. Modeled his game on Jeff Honacek. And that's something that I came across over the last few days when I was doing my research into this. So that's interesting, right? <laughs> it's really interesting you say that, Woody, because I've done a little bit of research too. I, I listened to a few podcasts here and there. Sam Cassell is one of the guys I actually listen to more than others. And he basically said basketball chose him because he was so unathletic. And so, obviously, Jeff Hornacek wasn't a very athletic guy, so it makes sense that he would be a player he might model himself on because there's no point in him modelling himself on someone who's tearing down rims and that sort of thing. So Robert Pack. It was really interesting. Yeah, exactly. We talked about him on a previous redraft episode. He considered going to UNLV with Isaiah Ryder, so you can imagine what a backcourt that would have been. But on the Point God podcast, he talks about in the preseason, the first minute of his first game, he got in a scrap with Scotty Skiles and got ejected. And he also told a story about going 0-7 in the preseason and then 17-0 and to start the season. I just remember on Saturday basketball, every Saturday going, holy shit, Houston still haven't lost a game yet. And I actually challenged that winning streak to start a season. I don't know if you boys remember that back in 94. I do. And I also remember in 2004 when the All-Star team was announced and Sam Cassell was on it, I was really, really happy. I mean, this guy put in the hard yards for over a decade to earn his first All-Star selection a decade after he was in the league. I think Mike Conley is another one that comes to mind that that did that very late in his career. But I don't think there's many other people you can point out that were in the league for over a decade before earning their first All-Star selection. So that was pretty cool. And this is an interesting draft where a lot of guys are producing some of their best seasons right at the end, I noticed in doing my research. And, yeah. and Sam had some good late seasons too. Another really funny story was him and Gary Payton. Can you imagine the trash talk with oh, those two? Oh, so man, they, oh, they played, for the, played for that George Carl Milwaukee Bucks team, which was pretty bloody good. Yeah, and he was saying that yeah. GP loved his fast food 
and they went through a McDonald's in a limo. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> hey, what do you reckon, lads, with Sam Cassell? He always seems to be on that short list of getting a head coaching role, but gets a sort of lamb on. Do you reckon that's going to happen for him eventually? Oh, Stewie's been banging that drum for years, and I agree. I think he's fantastic. I, I'd love to, I mean, when you yeah. think about Tyron Lou, I'd love to see Sam Cassell, similar kind of player, you know, had to kind of battle a little bit to really get themselves to have a good career. And, yeah, just as you say, another coach on the floor. I am surprised he's never had a head coaching gig yeah. yet. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. He's, I mean, you, you saw the intelligence in his game right from pretty much day one. He was always probably the smartest guy out on the court, saw the game happening before it happened. And, yeah, I, I agree entirely. I think as a head coach, he would be very successful. I really do. Great pick there, Woody. David Stern's at the podium again. With the third pick in the 1993 NBA draft, the Golden State Warriors select Anthony Hardaway from Memphis State University. The sport blokes select. All right, so I thought a little bit about this one. I feel like I'm maybe supposed to to pick a certain Penny Hardaway, but I'm not. I'm going to pick Vin Baker here, someone that I really like. Um, recently rocked his jersey on an episode of Throwback Hoops, as you boys probably remember. Look, it was pretty close when you sort of look at their stats. They're reasonably even there. Um, Baker didn't have a lot of, I guess, team success, but. I think what he did as an actual player, he had an amazing career. Um, it actually surprised me doing some recent research on him. You know, four-time All-Star. Um, he was a he made a couple of All-NBA teams, All-Rookie team. Um, yeah, I just really liked that the style that he played as well. Um, I think his career could have gone a little bit longer. I think he played around thirteen seasons from memory. Yeah, so as I said, it sort of came down to him and him and Penny Hardaway there. It might be a little bit of bias, just the fact that I was a, a big Vin Baker fan, but love the Definitely. way the guy went about it. Love the way the guy <laughs> went about it, though, Woods. Um, you know, the guy was putting up triple doubles as a you know a seven foot sort of you know stretch the floor sort of guy. I think he'd be really good in this this modern day and age. Actually, I think he'd, he'd really be able to extend his range there. Um, very smart player. You know, he came out of Hartford College, a bit of an unknown college there when he was drafted. I think pick eight in that draft in '93. So. Yeah, uh, probably a little bit of surprise. I felt like I was maybe supposed to pick Penny Hardaway there, and I did sort of think long and hard of it. But yeah, Vin Baker's who I've gone for there. Am I off with that one, boys? Or what are your thoughts on that one? A bit higher than I would have had him, but certainly probably in the first five or six. Yeah. I think, I think this is the challenge, though, with this draft, is there's so many guys that you could make a case for at so many different positions. The logic would have said that Penny Hardaway should have gone at two, and Nathan's smiling ear to ear because he knows he's going to get him at four now. But I look, I loved Vin Baker. I loved him as a player. I think his career obviously, yeah, would have been a lot better had he not battled the, the alcoholism issues as well, which is, yeah. you know, obviously horrible that he had to go through that. But he's he's come out the other end now and he's doing great things now, um, still with the Bucks as a Yeah, the coaching, as, yeah. As like in the in the coaching realm. So yeah. I think it's it's great to see that. And yeah, look, he was he was a real handful. One of those guys that yeah could could certainly put up big numbers, made the All Star team, which is great. And yeah, as you mentioned, he was that uh, was that All NBA caliber sort of player for a good few seasons, which is uh, yeah, it's not easy to do in the NBA. There's not many guys that can say that they've done that. And those four All Star seasons were in seasons two through five, so he had a really good start to his career. It's a really tricky spot here because we had several 
players play between 600 and 900 games in this little stretch here. And then several players averaging around 14, 15 points a game. Too. Yeah, hey, sorry. Stu, I want to put you on the spot as well and see if you can remember the trade that he was part of there. So he was with the Bucks for four years. He was then traded to Seattle. Seattle. That was a multi-team a trade, wasn't it? Trade. Yep. Do you remember some of the names in that Kemp draft? and Terrell Brandon. Well, so I'll tell you the team. So basically, uh, yeah, so Seattle. Ty- Tyron uh, Hill, maybe. Tyron Hill, yep, definitely. Yep, and um, Sean Kemp was the, the name of that that went oh, to Cleveland. Yep, 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 so, yep. Yeah. Wasn't Terrell yeah, Brandon so in that one an too? Interesting one there. Yeah, he was. That, was a, yeah. that was a crazy trade, hey, yeah. when you look at it. Tyron Hill and Terrell Brandon went to the Bucks. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you and go. Sean Douglas so, yeah. was part of that trade as well. Yeah, I was pretty the sure the, the three big pieces were Brandon, Kemp, and Baker. Yeah, it was a pretty good trade for all well, three. Well, Kemp certainly was a big piece after a few years in Cleveland. <laughs> <wasn't he? laughs> well, Baker yeah. Baker stacked on some weight too in the <laughs> he late did years, too, didn't he? What's, what's really interesting about that, Robbie, and, and I've talked about it before, is that how the memory fails. So I remember the lockout kind of derailing both Kemp and Baker a little bit. Funnily enough, they were traded for mm. one another. But they actually had a couple of good years post the lockout, and it was actually a little bit after that that they kind of mm. fell off a cliff a little oh, bit. Kemp so. in Cleveland was still all-star. Yeah, it was, and same with Baker yeah. in Seattle. Yeah. He had some really good years in Seattle. So And, and t- mm. Tyrone Hill was an all-star once. Well, Tyrone Hill all-star. was always yeah. a very handy player, yeah. I think it's worth mentioning as well, quickly, guys, that I hear what you're saying, Robbie, but it's not just the stats, right? It's about how marketable the player was to the community, right? And a guy like Penny Hardaway put bombs on seats. More people came through the turnstiles to see a guy like Penny Hardaway. And sure, Vin Baker, it's a close call. But don't you guys think that you take that into account as well? What kind of impact that guy's going to have on, on the franchise and the community and the public, as opposed to just the stats? So maybe hey, that's, if you that's love, the case. love Penny so much, you should have drafted him at number two, man. Yeah, no, no, fair, man. I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate here, brother, you know? No, look, it's a fair call. And certainly, the, I think that's why it was kind of almost a shame that Baker got traded because it felt like he was actually somebody who was accepted by that Milwaukee fan base and, and community. And Milwaukee, before Giannis came along, has kind of been a, a really difficult place to get a lot of traction. I mean, Ray Allen had a good uh, a good amount of time there. Michael Red did well, but Big Dog Robinson. It's yeah. interesting. Like, so in the previous redraft episode, we talked about that Dallas team that didn't necessarily live up to their hope with all those young the, players. The Tony Braxton Mavericks. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, the Bucks had some really good young pieces that never quite clicked in together either, did they? Mm. So, here's, here's David Stern. In the 1993 NBA draft. The Dallas Mavericks select Jamal Mashburn from the University of Kentucky. The sport blokes. Select. Now, Stewie said I was grinning from ear to ear to have Penny Hardaway still available at this point. But actually, I think you can make a strong case for three players here. Mike Poplowski? Uh, No, Terry DeHair, no. Penny Hardaway, Jamal Mashburn, and Alan Houston. I think... You could make a strong case for any three of those guys, and it's really tough. Now, what I found really interesting looking at this is Jamal Mashburn played nearly 100 less games than Penny Hardaway. I never would have guessed that in a million years. So Penny played 704. Jamal played 611, which is quite incredible. And Penny even played 12 more playoff games too. So Alan Houston played more games than any of them, and he has a higher points per game average in his career too. So it's really tempting to pick him. But I will go with Penny here based on, I guess, kind of what you were just saying, Woody, about kind of potential and all the other intangibles, off-court stuff and all that sort of thing as well. So 15.2 points per game, four and a half rebounds per game, five assists per game, 
one and a half steals as well. His stats went up in the playoffs, 20 points per game in the playoffs, six uh, assists in the playoffs, nearly two steals in the playoffs as well. So it's such a shame that injury derailed his career a bit. But we can't forget 704 games with an additional 64 playoff games. He had a bloody good career anyway. And of course, Lil Penny. Yeah, probably the best marketing tool out of anyone in this draft by a long way. Right up there, yeah. Well, out of this draft in all time, I reckon, yeah. too. Maybe Larry Grandmama, the other one. Yeah, look, it's funny. I wasn't a huge Penny Hardaway fan. Maybe that's why I didn't take him there. I did like the way he played there. I was always a bit more critical. I was like, oh, he should be a better shooter and little things like that there. But there's no doubt he played an exciting brand of basketball there. And just at his size there, just to be able to play that point guard position and do the things he did there. So, yeah, I was kind of surprised. When I was looking at the games played, I seemed to not remember him playing that many. I know he sort of ended up going 14 seasons, which, you know, considering his injury problems there is pretty decent. I think that's maybe the third most amount of seasons from this draft class, third or fourth possibly. So perhaps, you know, his injuries, he did miss quite a few regular season games. And, you know, he had some playoff success, like we mentioned there. So, yeah, look, I do remember the guy reasonably fondly for what he did there. And he certainly got an impressive highlight reel uh, package, that's for sure. Yeah, look, that big point guard, I mean, you, you talk about Magic Johnson, Jalen Rose, Penny Hardaway. They were far and a few between back then. Now you you see it a little bit more. Everyone's trying to handle the ball and, and, and be a playmaker at that height. But back then, you, you didn't see those those slightly bigger guys be able to have such great instincts and IQ. And I'll say this to you, Robbie, man. There was a little Penny. There wasn't a little Vin Baker, right? You know what I mean? So, so Penny was extremely marketable. Right. And people loved him. And I see two pennies. I see the penny before the injuries and the penny after the injuries. And he, as you said, Robbie, he did manage to like uh, clock up a lot of games. But, you know, a lot of those, he's a bit of a journeyman at the end. He even played at Miami late there, you know. So I think I'll remember him more fondly uh, in that, those first few years at Orlando than I will for, for, for anything else. And to kind of have that sort of career in spite of the injuries, pretty amazing stuff. So, yeah, very good player. Shame it wasn't a team with Shaq for longer. They might have won a championship together. I know that Shaq's talked a lot about how he kind of wish he stayed on the Point God podcast again. And I didn't mention, I think it's hosted by Baron Davis. So that's a, an interesting little series to check out. But uh, he was filming with Shaq on Blue Chips. And so the movie Blue Chips plays this really interesting part in this draft yep. because they wanted Chris Webber to be on it, but he actually declined. So so Penny and Shaq formed this really strong connection. And he said on that Point God podcast that, and I quote, I knew exactly what I was doing getting his big ass the ball. <laughs> <laughs> so I think he thought that uh, there might have been a chance he could end up on Orlando and, and just as well. For me, he's probably on the all-time what-if team as far as the league goes. Those first four years in Orlando, he looked like this you know, generational first ballot Hall of Famer sort of guy. He had vision and size, you know, as you mentioned, Woods, the Magic Johnson comparison with the size, you know, six seven, but really bouncy as well. He had that athleticism that Magic didn't have. Could see over defenders really well. Really, really quick, calculated first step. Offensively, you know, get by guys without even sort of thinking about it. Defensively, menace in the passing lanes. But I think a lot of the issues just come down to a little bit of I don't want to say selfishness, but he had that injury in the 97-98 season and he got voted in as an all-star starter and wanted to play in the all-star game. So we kind of rushed the rehab and came mm -hmm. back a little bit early. And all of a sudden, a week later, he shut down for the rest of the season and he, he kind of had those ongoing injuries that really robbed him of that athleticism and that first step that he kind of relied on quite a lot. So it's it a little bit of a shame. Do you know he actually got shot in the foot while he was in college? 
It rings a bell now that you mention it. Yeah, actually. There's been a few yeah, no, no, over I, the I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah, it's rehabbing. Basically, just got shot. That was constantly rehabbing. Horrible. Yeah. Horrible. Yeah. Oh, boys, David Stern's at the podium again, but maybe for not the reason you think. Ladies and ladies and gentlemen. Having a little bit of a PA problem is the reason for the pause from the commissioner. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to report a trade. Orlando. Has traded the draft rights to Chris Weber. To Golden State in exchange for the draft rights to Anthony Hardaway and three future first round draft picks, which will be exercised at the earliest in the years 1996, 1998, and 2000. Now, I intentionally left the full audio in there because it's pretty funny. David's clearly pissed off with someone behind him talking, so he gives him a nice death stare till they shut up. But anyway, let's talk about this trade because it's it's pretty big in NBA history and it's great to talk about the players that those picks became. Well, yeah, there's a few sort of extra permutations that we maybe don't all necessarily... Like, you guys probably know about it, but I think maybe some of our, our listeners maybe don't. So the trade itself, the rights to Chris Webber for the rights to Penny Hardaway and three future first round picks in 96, 98 and 2000. Now, the 96 pick, which ended up being Todd Fuller, Mm. classic, that was actually packaged with Scott Skiles in exchange for a 1996 second rounder, which would become Randy Livingston, guy who played for 10 teams in 11 seasons. But that was basically a salary dump that allowed the Magic to sign Horace Grant, which obviously a huge part of that team that made the finals. And if you're wondering why you only remember Todd Fuller playing for Golden State, it's because that pick was actually traded onto the Warriors as part of a trade that sent Chris Webber to Washington. Yeah, there you go. Oh, Tom, Tom Gugliotta, three future first round picks, which ended up being Fuller, Chris Mim, and get this, the 98 pick, which was Vince Carter, who they also traded for Anton Jameson. For Anton Jameson. Yeah. So, I mean, look, it all worked out well for the Warriors in the end. We know that they were a dynasty for several years uh, in the sort of the, the 2010s. So it's worked out okay. But yeah, the, the 2000 pick Orlando kept and they used it for Rookie of the Year who? Mike Miller. Mike Miller. Yeah, they did pretty well there. I mean, Vince Carter, Mike Miller. Yeah, I think that trade worked out pretty well. And the fact that they got a rookie of the year, what, seven years after that trade went down, that's um, that's pretty incredible, really. And Scotty Skiles is interesting, isn't he? Because he himself holds the record for most assists in a game. So it was an interesting backcourt. They probably did have to trade him in order to make way for Penny to be able to play 40-plus minutes a game. Well, he, he always seemed like him. a great bloke as well, didn't he, Scott Skiles? Seemed like a really nice guy. Yeah, Penny absolutely <laughs> tore Skiles. And uh, I think he was going at Donald Royal and Anthony Bowie, who were supposed to be the Magic's best defenders at the time. And Penny came in and he kept hammering away at them saying, guys, you know, you got to give me more time to to show you what I can do and why you should draft me. And he was just, yeah, tearing these guys up in the, the training and the scrimmages and stuff. And yeah, pretty much convinced them to make the call and orchestrate that trade. Yeah, look, I mean, one thing that, you know, you talk about Trey Young and Luka Doncic being traded for each other, right? And I, it brings me back 
to that, right? Talking about two generational players, you know, franchise play being, being traded on draft night, right? Yeah, and I think that, like, you know, if anyone hasn't watched One Magic Moment, the 30 for 30 ESPN documentary, a lot of the stuff you guys have just spoken about is covered there, right? And I think, as you said, with Penny Hardaway having that relationship with Shaq, during blue chips, right? You know, it was, it was on the cards for that to happen. And uh, it was great to see that that Orlando team in those first few years. And uh, the trade worked out, I'd probably say more so for Orlando than for Golden State with the aforementioned issues that Don Nelson had with Chris Webber. But at the time, you know, it was the right right thing to, to happen, right? Obviously, Penny, after playing for Orlando, was traded to Phoenix. So that bum, Danny Manning, was in a part of that trade as well. And, um, Come on, man. Yeah, Phoenix, Phoenix ended up getting Amare Stoudemire in that trade as well. So, yeah, that's a pretty interesting um, trade in 1999. It's funny that both Penny and Grant Hill, two players who both played for Orlando and had injuries kind of derail their career, both ended up in Phoenix in their late stages. Mm. I mean, Grant Hill rediscovered his game quite well, though, in Phoenix, right? And uh, I think... Penny really struggled after those early injuries. As Robbie mentioned earlier, his inability to, to shoot the ball kind of like hampered him a little bit in those later years. Whereas a guy like Grant Hill picked up the ability to hit that corner three and really uh, reinvented himself in, in Phoenix, right? And with that Phoenix staff, that medical staff we all talk about that, that uh, that's able to get injured players back on track. And we'll be able to talk about Grant Hill in our next redraft episode, of course, whenever that may be. 2027 probably. <laughs> yeah. Oh, David Stearns at the podium again, and this time it is for pick number five. With the fifth pick in the 1993 NBA draft, the Minnesota Timberwolves select Isaiah J.R. Ryder from the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. The sport blokes. Select. Do you know, I was on the fence about Alan Houston versus Jamal Mashburn, and something came up a few minutes back about the number of games that Jamal Mashburn played. And I think I'm going to have to take Alan Houston because of the longevity, those extra 200 odd games, obviously a really, really talented scorer, 17.3 points a game, nearly three rebounds, two and a half assists. I think the key thing though, for that era, 40% three point shooter, 42% in the playoffs and an extra couple of points per game in the playoffs as well. So he did step it up in those, those playoffs, two-time all-star part of that 2000 men's Olympic team that won gold in Sydney as well. He just, he's one of those kind of forgotten stars of the 90s and early 2000s, I think. And one of the purest jump shots of that era, a guy that was deceptively big and he had a really nice high release, so could get his shot off over a lot of defenders. If he got you ISO'd, particularly on the left-hand side of the floor, it was absolutely game over. And I mean, obviously we know him for that, that crazy up and under shot that he hit in game five against the Heat in the first round of 99. He played a really, really solid final series as well against your Spurs, Nate. But unfortunately, yes, indeed, yes. they were just, they were so overpowered and overmatched there. Um, he and Sprewell did all they could, but it was just never going to be enough. But uh, yeah, I, th- I think the sad thing about Alan Houston's career is that for a lot of people, he's remembered more for the six year, $100 million contract that he signed. And then unfortunately, probably didn't live up to with a few injuries later in his career. Um, do you know they actually called the amnesty clause the Alan Houston clause because of? Obviously, how much his contract kind of screwed New York over for a few years. That's another one that now you mention it's ringing bells. Yeah, mm. yeah. So yeah, certainly, uh, yeah, a player I do remember quite fondly though. Just a beautiful stroke. Yeah, I would have certainly taken him next as well. Love the way the guy shot the ball. He was probably sneaky big, wasn't he? He was a pretty good size there, six six. You know, 90, 90 odd kilos, two hundred pounds. It's like along those those lines there. But 
Yeah, enjoyed the way he played. Interesting, he only played for the two teams in that that twelve year career, which is kind of unusual. But probably that that big salary had something to do with it. I guess he was a little bit hard to trade on. But no, I like watching the guy play. You know, enjoy when he was part of that you know US team, everything as well. So yeah, solid pick. Um, I, I definitely would have taken him in that spot as well. Yeah, I just think that when you're talking to young kids and and they're learning how to shoot the basketball, I would tell them go look look on YouTube and look at Alan Houston's technique. Look at his form. Look at what he does, right? Just perfect. Fundamentally, his shot was as good as anyone I've seen. And an all-round good human being, a good guy, right? I talk about the intangible someone can be, bring to a team and a franchise outside of their statistics. Well, uh, Alan Houston epitomizes that. So in addition to being uh, very talented and a great basketball player, he's a great human being. So I'll agree with that as well. And I would have taken Alan Houston at, at the fifth pick as well. Yeah, I think just to follow on from what you said there, Woods, as well, there's one game in particular. He had a 53 against the Lakers, and I was yep, watching the highlights of that again today. And it just, again, any time he got in that that mid-post, it didn't matter who was on him, whether it was Ron Artest, Kobe, uh, Devin George tried. Like, none of them could get anywhere near him. He was just unstoppable. And he was another one of those blokes that I was talking about earlier who actually had a really good late, like his third season, statistically, was one of his best years of his entire career, third last season. So, yeah, really interesting career and up and down and all over the place. And I think those Detroit fans were probably pissed off he left. But then after the injuries, we're probably glad they dodged that contract bullet, having dealt with the Grant Hill situation not long before. Yep. It was interesting in that draft, too, that the, the Pistons had those two picks in a row, didn't they? Pick 10 and pick 11 there and, and taking Lindsey Hunter and Alan Houston after him. So it was interesting them having those two, two top picks in the, the first 11 picks there. It was always that threat after that 2004-05 season that he'd come back and play eventually, right? And he, that you heard reports about him working out with the team and that he was working his way to a comeback and it never actually eventuated. So it's really sad that injuries, you know, um, halted what was already a pretty solid career. But um, yeah, it was sad never to see him actually take the floor after that final season. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, um, that's an interesting point you bring up, Robbie, as well about the, the back-to-back picks. So that pick that was, I think it was the 10th pick that they used for Lindsey Hunter, it was actually a trade from Miami for John Sally, of all people. Mm-hmm. Not, uh, not great value. Mm, interesting. <laughs> really well-spoken, really intelligent, interesting guy. Was Spent some time in front offices and that sort of thing as well. So, yeah, really tremendous player. And I think we've all kind of said it in one way or another. People a little bit younger than us probably don't appreciate how good he really was. With the sixth pick in the 1993 NBA draft, the Washington Bullets select Calvert Chaney from the University of Indiana. The sport blokes. Select my man Nick the Quick, Nick Van Exel, right? You've done this to me twice now, Woods. My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Look. One of my personal heroes and one of my favorite all-time players, Nick the Quick's career is deserving of far more words than I can say, right? He was a great ball handler, a great passer, an unbelievable competitor, notorious clutch shot maker. Nick the Quick was twice top three in the league in assists and made one all-star team. And, you know, his celebrations after big shots defined cool, like in that period, man. He brought the Lake Show after the Showtime Lakers, you know, and uh, my eyebrows are shaved because of him, right? He was an icon. And, uh, you know, the, the fact that he, uh, you know, earned a league record fine for shoving a referee into the scorer's table 
only adds to that legend of Nick Van Exel. He's always a little rough around the edges. He talks about Big Daddy Kane being one of his heroes. And, and, and he ranks first in this draft class in assists per game, third in minutes played and fourth in total points. And he's the only 93 draft. He immortalized in a Jay-Z lyric uh, on a number one hit rocker, the ROC handle like Van Exel. I shake phonies, man, you can't get next to. So, I mean, this guy, I, I said it earlier, man, it's more than like what a guy can bring to the table for his stats. What did he mean, right? And with the Lakers going through a bit of turbulence and going into a little period of uh, resurgence, they needed something to put bums on seats, right? You know, he was good friends with Snoop Dogg and, you know, he brought the Lake Show back. So I think what he brought to the table and, 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 and you know, you talk about his later, later years also playing with Dallas on those playoff teams and whatnot. Man, this guy is, I had a poster of him on my wall. So, yeah, I got to take him six. So, yeah. Some pretty good stats in his second season in the playoffs, uh, Woody. 20 points per game, 7.3 assists, two steals in 46 minutes a game, 94-95 for the Lakers. Now, granted, it was 10 games, but yeah, that's impressive. And that, that trio, Cedric Sabalas, Eddie Jones, Nick Van Exel, it, it kind of gets slept on a little bit. Like, that was an awesome team, right? Uh, Del Harris as coach. Obviously, there were some issues there. Nick wanted to do his own thing. Del Harris being that old timer. But I really enjoyed those times, that, that particular Lakers team, right? Magic coming back out of retirement after many years. There's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a period in Lakers history that often doesn't get spoken about that much. But uh, I remember it very fondly, guys. What are your thoughts? Well, I have to actually say yeah. as well, before you mentioned your pick, I actually, because we've got our, our big board here, and I was actually pointing at Nick Van Exel because I knew you were going to take him. Just sure he's listened to enough of your podcast yeah. to know you love him. Yeah. <laughs> and look, I don't yeah, disagree with uh, that. He's an incredible player. Probably the best mixtape out of any player from the 1990s. Like he just had those real herky jerky moves. He had the big hands so he could palm the ball. We'd do, you know, a lot of those crazy sort of pass fakes and we'd do those behind the back passes that would mm-hmm. actually go against the grain. Just, yeah, an incredible guy. You mentioned the game winners as well. Uh, sorry to do it to you, Nathan. He had that incredible one-legged runner against the Spurs yeah. at the old Alamo Dome. Um, he, you know, helped shut down the old guard. Yeah, I remember. Boston. Yeah. Just, just an incredible player. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm so glad you brought up those Mavericks days as well. Like that Mavericks team, I think it was 03. That was one of my absolute favorite teams of all time. You know, him and Walt Williams and Eduardo Naharal coming off the bench for that that Dallas team. They had that incredible playoff series against Sacramento that is probably my favorite playoff series of all time. Up there with those uh, yep. Chicago-Boston series, I think it was like 07 or something. I'm so glad you brought that up, Stewie, because they're my strongest memories of Nick Van Exel towards the end of his career in the early 2000s. Obviously, he played with the Spurs a couple of years after that. But those Dallas-Sacramento games were just, that was such a good series. And in that 2002-03 playoff series, he averaged 19.5 points per game. And four assists, okay, you know, that's okay. But he he did a lot of that scoring, a lot of clutch in 20 playoff games. So that was a really good playoff uh, series for him or playoff year for him at the back end of his career. And yeah, nearly 40% three-point shooting. Stewie just pointed out to me there. So 33 minutes a game. So yeah, great career. And another guy, probably there's several guys from this draft class that people probably forget how good they were. Hey, Robbie. 
Absolutely. Look, I am a bit dirty that Woods took him and also Sam Cassell, but like, like you know, those, those that know Woody and I pretty well. Danny Manning's probably the only player we disagree on there. We've got a lot of love of similar players and I, I'm the same as Woods. Absolutely love Nick Van Exel. I've got, got two of his jerseys for, for various teams there and that. You're exactly right, Stu. That highlight package that he's got is just, you know, I encourage anyone just to, to you know, YouTube Nick Van Exel highlights and just, yeah, was a really big fan of him. Um, yeah, I almost um, argue that you could have maybe put him up one spot higher as well. It's sort of, I think all that, those three picks, you know, probably the one I'm going to say next, and then Alan Houston and uh, and Nick Van Exel were all pretty similar. Um, he also rocked the, and you know, you guys know I like random jerseys, right? So he rocked the number 37 one year for Golden State. So I've just checked that then, only nine players in NBA history have worn the number 37. So Stu, I know you'll probably be all over this. Can anyone name anyone else that wore that number 37? Oh, Ron, wow. Ron Artest wore it for the Lakers. Correct. Well, Meta World Peace, correct? Well, it would have been run our test probably then. Yep. So probably actually. He could have been. Yeah. Um, Woods, I believe you've actually got this this jersey of this guy. I know you're not great with jersey numbers, but I'm pretty sure you've got this guy's jersey for this team. So you should you should remember that one. I know it's a, a Saturday night and it's getting a bit late here in Sydney, so I'm not sure how well your memory's going. But any any ideas? So that might be a left hander if that helps, like like Nick Van Exel. Uh, Derek Fisher, maybe. Correct. For okay. Derek oh, nice. yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. What about Tenasis? Tenasis, where things? Uh, so Costas. So Costas wore it. Mac McClung, one year for the Lakers. Um, the only other ones of note were Semi Olajay for Ojale, I should say, for Boston. And that Matt Ryan guy who bounced around with a few teams over the last few years rocked oh, that number with three different teams. So Not yeah, to be mistaken for the, not no, to be mis- the, the yeah, former quarterback <laughs> of the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah. I'd say that's I love right, Matt that's Ryan right. because... Like I, I work with with DoorDash as you know a sales rep, and he was actually funding himself by being a DoorDash driver, and he was a, a really right. big yeah. success story playing for the Lakers. It was awesome. And I should say apologies to Jack Smiley, who also wore that number in 1949. <laughs> so I don't remember that one too well for the the Fort Wayne Pistons. But yeah, gotta love Van Exel, right, boys? Oh, so that was the Fort Wayne Pistons, uh, think... and not the Zolmers back in <laughs> the back Zolmers. in the day. Oh, God. <laughs> That's it. Just before we move on, guys, a couple of things. Two left-handers. Who both two Southpaws who both played for the Lakers who wore 37 at some point, right? Yeah. Random, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. And secondly, cultural icon Nick Van Exel, right? You know, he's remembered in folklore. You know, I told you about the shaved eyebrows and what he brought to the table. More than the what he, what he did uh, on the floor, he's remembered off the floor. And Snoop, as I said, Snoop Dogg speaks about him, and you know, it's the kind of impact that he had on the game was as amazing. And, Have you got uh, any more raps for us, Woods, or fondly. what? No, I got no more raps, no more raps you, but right. you know, right. cultural cultural icon, bro. Cultural icon. That's yeah. all that's all I gotta say. Yeah. Well, if there's no more raps, let's wrap this pick. But I will finish by saying I used to love his free throw style from way behind the line there, too. Yeah, sure. <laughs> that was awesome. That was awesome, Nate. With the seventh pick in the 1993 NBA draft, the Sacramento Kings select Bobby Hurley from Duke University. The sport blokes select. Yeah, I felt like this one was pretty easy. We're going to do the mash. We're going to do the monster mash. And I'll go <laughs> Jamal Mashburn. Uh, so as I said, I did. I uh, was hoping that the Nick the Quick would have um, slipped to this pick here, but I think you've got to go Jamal Mashburn. Um, feels like a little bit of a common theme, doesn't it? These some of these picks we've had so far. You know, injuries have certainly impacted their career a little bit. This guy had a lot of talent. Um, he's also. Um, a guy that probably was a bit of a fan of, you know, he played with those Dallas teams. What did you call him, Stu? The Tony Braxton teams back yeah. in the day. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Look, 
really impacted by knee injuries, um, you know, quite sort of serious injuries that really affected his career there. But um, he still had some pretty good accolades. You know, he was a one-time All-Star, I think the same as Van Exel there. Um, he made one All-NBA team, which was a third team. That's kind of it, really. You know, All-Rookie first team, which you'd probably expect from, from someone in this draft. But yeah, didn't quite live up to it, I think, pretty much because of that knee injury there. But like the way this guy went about it, he had a very smooth game, could certainly put the ball in the basket. You know, A career scoring average of 19.1 points. And you think in that era he was playing as well, You know, those late 90s years and early noughties year where the, the scoring was pretty bad. There was a lot of 81 to 78 games sort of in that era and everything else like that. So yeah, he could certainly put the ball in the basket. Um, you know, quite a highly regarded player coming out of Kentucky there who's taken the, the fourth pick in that draft so another one I think his um, career now would have translated very well I think he would have looked pretty good in this day and age he, you know, he could certainly put the ball in the basket as I said there so yeah I think this one was probably a pretty easy pick there fellas for um, Jamal Mashburn yeah what do you guys think about that one yeah you're right 03 all-star he too had a 50 point game what really sticks out with me? Oh, no, sure. Well, actually, I've, I've got an interesting little uh, little thing. So at one stage, I think he was the fourth youngest guy to have a 50 ever. Yeah, right. Okay. So, And he's certainly, I mean, he's been passed by a few guys like Trey Young, LeBron, Kevin Porter, Brandon Jennings. It's sort of all passed by him. But Kevin Porter, the odd man out there. Yeah, he really is, wow. isn't he? <laughs> he won't be making our redraft when we get that far. No. <laughs> anyway, yeah, very young when he had that 50. The thing that sticks out to me, and again, it makes sense that obviously – Stewie, Woody and I were only about 10 in 1993. Robbie's got a couple of years on us. So obviously we're going to remember the later stuff a bit more than the earlier stuff. But what really sticks out to me was those Charlotte Hornets and their New Orleans Hornets years. I remember him being really good in the playoffs. So in 0203, his second last season, he averaged 22 points per game and nearly five assists as well with nearly a steal. So that's what really sticks out to me. I remember watching, and look, they did get swept in that series. But uh, actually, oh, back then might have been five-game first-rounders. It would have been, wouldn't it? Mm. So they would have pitched one in the first round there. But yeah, that's what sticks out to me. Him playing with Baron Davis and playing really well on those Hornets teams. Mm. I don't know if that's what maybe sticks out in your mind, Woody, or what are your what are your memories of the Mash Man? Well, I mean, he could put the ball in the hoop, Nate. And you say he was good in the playoffs, but I mean, the early knock on him was that he was a no-show in the playoffs. I know in, the, in those Hornets days, he stepped up, but... You remember three for 15, I think it was uh, in game seven versus the Knicks in 2000, right? He bounced back, obviously, as a leading scorer on that Hornets team in the early 2000s. And I don't completely agree with you on his postseason play, right? I mean, sure, he did, he did have that bounce back. But, you know, this guy had a, a potent back to the basket game. He had a three-point shot by his second season league. He was a top five scorer. I think he was at like 24 points a game or something like that. And injuries did derail him a bit. And he couldn't play alongside Alonzo Mourning and Tim Hardaway. That was one thing I remember. And that was the reason that he he left that Heat team, right? Yeah, just to clarify, I wasn't saying he had a great playoff kind of career, but it was just that's what stuck out in my memory those Hornets years, obviously, because that was a bit later, more recently. A solid, if a little bit... Oh, he was underwhelming in my Yeah, opinion. disappointing. He was yeah, underwhelming. Yeah. Give, well, given the talent, and we obviously know what he could do, to never really average more than 15 a game with Miami in the playoffs is, is disappointing. But... And they would have fancied a kind of big three kind of not living yeah. up to that along with Timmy Hardaway and Zoe. So, yeah, no, fair points, Woody. Fair points, yeah. definitely. I think the big thing for me with Mash, like, obviously, yeah, he was a, a volume scorer, but he just, I don't know, he, he was never really that good a shooter. Like, he, he would obviously take a lot of shots and, and make a lot, but... If you look down the line, right throughout his entire career, he sort of hovered around that sort of 40, 41% from the field, 
pretty much every year. There were a couple of them sort of dipped down around the 37, 38, 39%. So certainly not a not not that decent a shooter for a guy of his size who had a pretty decent post game. You know, I mean, 6'8", 240 is a big unit. And to not be able to score at a, a little bit more of an efficient clip than that, maybe one knock on him, I guess. But look, I mean, still a, an incredible player. And another one of these guys who was very, very difficult to rank on the board. I, I, you could have had him anywhere from sort of three or four all the way down to where we are now. Hey, fellas, do we feel like this was a clear top seven? I think he was the last of the players to make an all-star game now. So I don't think there's any more that we're going to name that, that didn't make an all-star game. Did you guys have this same seven on your big board or was there any sort of changes there? Don't give the names away, obviously, but I know this is the exact seven I had just in a different order. Yep, no, I'm the same. Absolutely same. Yeah. Nathan's kind of doing it on the floor. I'm flying by the seat of my pants, as I always do in these episodes. I never have it fully locked in. I like to kind of make that knee-jerk choice. <laughs> so, yeah, but I think that's a pretty solid top seven. Yeah, I had one different, yeah. Okay, well, maybe you can bring that up when we get there. David Stern's at the podium again. Here we go. With the eighth pick in the 1993 NBA draft, the Milwaukee Bucks select Vin Baker from the University of Hartford. The sport blows. Select. It's fitting that our first undrafted is by me because I like to get the undrafted in in our previous episodes. Yeah. He was also a big Spurs yeah, player. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're, it's a homer pick. Uh, so, well, yeah. you, you, you just came on to uh, who I had at seven, eight. So. Ah, there you go, Woody. Okay, great minds. Wow. So look, he was undrafted. He did it the hard way. Listen to these team names. Le Havre, Evru. Fort Wayne Fury, Rockford Lightning. It just, the list goes on and on until he finally lands in the Miami Heat in 1997. And look, if we're looking at stats, he's not top of the list here. 6.1 points a game, 2.8 boards, 1.2 assists, nearly a steal, similar numbers in the playoffs. It's not anything to write home about, but this is the stuff that really matters. Three-time NBA champion as a starter and a key member of the 0305-07 Spurs. Five-time all-defensive first team. Yes, first team. Three-time all-defensive mm. second team. And his number 12 retired by my Spurs. Bruce Bowen, really important part of those teams. And as I say, okay, maybe not as great numbers as some of the other guys that might come in our next few picks. But as you say, Woody, it's not just about stats. And there's a reason we have him here. Yeah, definitely. And, and if I'm going to ask you guys, would you rather have Jamal Mashburn or would you have Bruce Bowen on your team? And you look at the resume of, of Jamal Mashburn, sure, you know, he, he putting up numbers and getting offensive stats is all well and good, right? But you look at a guy, you, you mentioned about three-time NBA champion, five-time defensive first, three-time NBA, all-defensive second team. Man, in terms of like on-ball defenders, there's not many people that I could think of uh, in my time watching the game were as effective as Bruce Bowen. So he's a winner. And uh, sure, it took him a while. As you said, he he went around, played around Europe and stuff and all over the world before he got that opportunity with the Heat, the Celtics, Philly, Miami again, and then <laughs> finding a home with the San Antonio Spurs. So I can understand why people pick Jamal Mashburn before him. But if you look at his pedigree and what he achieved and you look back on their careers, who would you have rather had on your team? And that's my um, reasoning behind choosing Bruce Bowen if I was to. Uh, at seven ahead of Jamal. That's really strong reasoning. One of the really interesting things about Bruce Bowen was he often had better three-point numbers than foul shooting numbers. Yeah. Now, I know Stewie loves to bang on about free throws, but there was one year, so for example, I'm looking at 99, he shot 50% from beyond the three-point line. But then when you look at his free throw percentage, it was 50 as well. 
But there was a season where he was only it's, where it's, it's 203, 44%. There lead, you go. Leads the league in three-point shooting and then only shoots 40% from the line. That's right. Yeah, good pick, Noth. I had him a little bit lower down, but when you sort of read out those stats, I think you've got a pretty good argument for him there. Yeah, I'm not even sure if some of those teams you mentioned at the start are actually real. They seem so obscure. But um, <laughs> yeah, he really did make the most of his career, didn't he? Um, and, you know, like you said, he developed. He's probably one of those, the first of those 3 and D type players out there. He's probably someone that opposition, um, you know, fans weren't a, a big, you know, fan of watching him sort of thing. He was quite dirty at times, but he made the absolute most out of all his abilities there. And yeah, that's why he's got that number hanging in the rafters for San Antonio. I mean, he's one of those guys, I often talk about guys that manage to find an organisation that they fit with so well. And I think Bowen and San Antonio, like you couldn't have really found a better fit for him. You know, he's getting to players that kind of dump the ball down to Tim Duncan or, you know, whoever the big guys might have been at the time. Stand in the corner waiting for the, the three. And, and shoot the three at a really high percentage, which is perfect. And then you talk about guys who, you know, certainly at the time in the Western Conference, obviously Kobe Bryant was the number one shooting guard in, in that conference. And the guys that played him really well, you know, the Rajah Bells of the world and obviously Bruce Bowen, guys that, just, test, yeah. Yeah, guys that just kind of gave him fits, which, I mean, obviously Kobe was still going to get his, but that was the big thing playing the Lakers was you had to make Kobe a volume shooter. And I think Bruce did a really good job of that. And as you say, that's why he's a three-time champion. There's an unwritten stat or a classification I call, Nate, and it's called give a damn factor, right? <laughs> Do you give a damn? And Bruce Bowen gives a damn, you know, about winning, about playing team basketball and leading his team to the promised land. And uh, he has it better than probably most of these guys that were drafted above him in the draft. That's something that can't be taught. It's something that comes from within, something that you've grown up with. Your upbringing gives you that give a damn factor. So, yeah. No, well put. Well put, definitely. And uh, rocked a bow tie better than most. I guess when bow's in your name, it makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, the only guy that rocked it better is Keith Askins. Okay, yes, very nice, Keith Haskins. David Stern's at the podium again for pick nine. With the 23rd pick in the 1993 NBA draft, the Seattle Supersonics select Irvin Johnson from the University of New Orleans. Hold on a second, David. That wasn't pick nine. He must be a cheeky ghost in his uh, afterlife, Stewie. Maybe he's a poltergeist. (laughs) What? Now, the original pick was Rodney Rogers to the Denver Nuggets. The sport blokes select. It's not Rodney Rogers here. <laughs> it's this is a really interesting one though because there's a, a few different schools of thought. If you're talking about the most talented player, it's obviously Isaiah Ryder. If you're talking about the guy that you probably want on your team, it's probably Brian Russell. If you're wanting a guy that's just going to play defense because you need a big guy, that's Sean Bradley. Rodney Rogers is still on the board as well. I think just purely because of all of the off-court bullshit, I think I'm going to pass on Ryder and go with Brian Russell, who is essentially a very much a carbon copy of Bruce Bowen, I guess. And originally picked 45, so that's a big jump. Yeah. So, again, another one of the maybe the better 3 and D guys in the 90s made MJ work probably better than most guys did. Ended up 35 40% three-point shooter for most of his time in Utah, which at that time was was probably a lot amongst the higher sort of numbers, I guess, in the league. It was a weird kind of almost double pump shot that he had, which uh, not, not too many people have replicated, but it was effective enough. And he pretty decent bounce to him as well. It was just another one of those guys you'd want on your team. And unfortunately for him, the time in Washington, Los Angeles and Denver kind of trailed off pretty massively for the end of his career. And I guess that's probably what would put him behind Bowen. But I think he's, yeah, probably just a slightly 
cheaper version of Bruce Bowen, really. And unfortunately, a lot of people's memories of Brian Russell is the Jordan push-off and the game-winning shot in Utah, of course. Hey, boys, I swear I thought his name was Byron Russell for about the first 10 years he was playing. I always just, like, saw the way his name was spelt and thought it was Byron. So, yeah, it's always an interesting um, one that it well, was actually I, Brian. And I just accidentally misset it myself then. So it's funny you say that because I was <laughs> similar, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Robbie, I've got a, a bit of trivia without notice for you because I know you love the numbers. He obviously, mm. we know him for wearing number three. What was his original number with Utah? Ooh, wasn't like 33, was it? Oh, you're as close as you can be without getting it right. 34. Oh, 34, okay. Yeah, you were very, very close. It wasn't a bad effort. wonder what the reason was. Obviously, someone left, I assume, that was wearing 34. It'd be yeah. interesting one to find that out. have to have a look and see when he changed it. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I think you're right. He was, he was a player that didn't massively put up numbers there, but you know, he carved out a pretty solid career, didn't he? And I think that's what the... You know, what are we? We're at pick eight now. That's the sort of players sometimes in this draft. I think we've talked about there was the seven surefire picks or seven seven surefire picks and then the undrafted guy in, in Bowen for his defensive efforts there. But this is sort of the first of this list now of guys that, you know, carved out that that very solid career. He certainly never, probably doesn't have a great highlight reel, I wouldn't have thought, but, you know, he was definitely a key component for that Jazz team there. And yeah, I think a, a pretty good pick. He was someone that was coming up pretty quick on my, my big board as well. A random little thing as well, actually. I've just had a look back at all of the Utah Jazz squads from the time he was drafted. There's not a single player that had number three. So he could have actually taken that from draft day. Adam. So I don't know what the hell the reason is behind yeah. that, but it's uh, yeah, it's a bit of a random one. But yeah, 841 games with an additional 105 playoff games, where, by the way, he scored an extra two points per game. It's nothing to sneeze at, is it, Woody? Man, not at all. Like The guy had balls, right? Let's talk about when Michael Jordan was playing baseball and, and the Utah Jazz came into town and he was just coming to visit John and Carl and say, what's up? And he came in into the facility that Utah was training at. And Russell came up to Jordan. He's like, man, I wish you were still playing, right? Because I would I would have locked you down. I would have locked you down. And uh, funny that those two actually ended up being teammates on the Wizards many years later. But uh, he never lacked confidence. And for a guy who was... Probably not the most talented in terms of what he could do, but he had good work ethic. He's a great defender, as Stewie alluded to earlier, and he had confidence in his ability. That's what I remember about Russell. David Stern's at the podium again for, I hope, pick 10. With the 15th pick in the 1993 NBA draft, the Atlanta Hawks select Doug Edwards from Florida State University. Okay, David Stern's still playing Silly Buggers. Obviously, the YouTube video gets a bit funny here, so I'll announce the last few picks. It was Lindsay Hunter at 10 to the Detroit Pistons, as Robbie previously said, via Miami. Woody, who you got? Lindsay Hunter, staying at 10. Oh, come on, Woods. <laughs> it's like three from three. You guys know each other too well, You know hey? how much I love Hunter. We seriously do. Jeez. <laughs> I like... You think about Lindsey Hunter, right? Like the Detroit Pistons took Hunter with a 10th overall pick and he played 17 years for the Pistons, Milwaukee Bucks, Los Angeles Lakers, Toronto Raptors and the Chicago Bulls. One of the best seasons came with Detroit in 99-2000 when he started actually all 82 games and averaged 12.7 points, 42.5% shooting from the floor, including 43% from beyond the arc. He added four assists, three rebounds. I mean, this guy like... He had longevity, you know, and we talked about that earlier, Stewie, about a, a guy who could who could last in this league. And I just think that 
the guy had an amazing career and like he contributed more than just what he could do on the floor. I know I've harped on the, about this in the past, but a great locker room guy, a winner, a leader. And we've seen that in his post playing career about his ability to transition into, into a coaching role. I, I, I know Robbie, man, I know I knew you were going to do this, right? And pick Lindsay at, at, at number 10. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to stick with Lindsay Hunter at number 10. Yeah. Yeah, no, good pick, Woods. You know, always, he's one of the more obscure ones. I have featured his jersey on a Throwback Hoops episode before. Um, really liked the way the guy went about it. He was very feisty on the court, you know, sometimes a little bit undersized there. Again, numbers don't pop out there, but playing 17 years and having that team success that he did there, I think, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, it's probably the first, or well, apart from uh, Weber, maybe, that's actually, we've drafted the same pick that he went in in the real draft there, but I might be wrong on one of them, but it feels like that's only the second one. But yeah, good pick. I'm um, not sure he was the greatest coach in the world. Um, There's a few little issues when he was coaching there but yeah he was certainly a very solid player wasn't he and the numbers that do pop out as you guys have alluded to 937 games 147 playoff games in addition to that his career points per game 8.5 it's not terrible so pretty good pick here i think yeah, definitely. I've actually got quite a few things uh, down about Lindsay, which is is quite kind of interesting. Some of it's actually nothing to do with him at all, but it just kind of relates to the college. So first things first, the Pistons were actually considering drafting AC Earl because they needed a big guy. Well, we'll get to him. So he's one. I will ask this again, Robbie. I'm going to throw it to you on the spot because I know you're good with colleges. Which college did you go to? Uh, Jackson State. Jackson State. Yeah. I remember I got it wrong on one of our podcasts, but yeah, that's kind of in, in my mind now. Jackson in, State, which it's I don't know many other players from that college, right? Yeah. Well, it's interesting <laughs> you say that though, Robbie. There is one other guy from uh, from that same college that is a very quality player, a guy named Purvis Short, who used to play for the Warriors back in mm. so like the 70s and 80s. How crazy is this? 84-85, Purvis Short averaged 28 points a game and wasn't named an All-Star. The seventh highest points per game in a season without an All-Star berth, Adrian Dantley averaged 30.7 points, 6.5 rebounds and 4.8 assists a game on 58% shooting and didn't get an All-Star against How ridiculous is that? That's outrageous. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) outrageous no one was drafted out of that college since Lindsay Hunter as well so he's the last player to get drafted out of there there. uh, Walter Payton actually went there as well but um, yeah he was actually Lindsay Hunter was involved in a trade (sighs) uh, the trade that actually brought Rasheed Wallace across to Detroit so Hunter was actually traded to Boston and they waived him straight away and a week later he re-signed with Detroit and they went on to obviously win that championship so he's a a very very key part of that championship and bringing Wallace in did he win one with the Lakers as well apologies if someone's mentioned it already there you go yeah Yeah, in 2002 kind of slept on a little bit right I mean he's never more than like a journeyman but that's better than most guys in this league right and he's tried in league when he was with the Pistons twice I think 93 to 2000 Robbie and then maybe 2003 or 4 to 8 Two, two stints yeah, in the Pistons, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, he was never going to devastate you, but he was consistent, right? And uh, as I said, he he brought a lot of intangibles off the floor, not just on the floor. Oh, he had so a random that's... season with Toronto, and I cannot picture him wearing that Raptors jersey. But yeah, no, it's interesting. Two stints with the Pistons. I wonder if that was one of those years where there was fuck all basketball on television here in Australia, Robbie. The language could be a major problem. Yeah, probably right. Early noughties, there was a bit of that going on, wasn't there? Especially oh, teams like Toronto wouldn't have got any, any airplay back then. Yeah. Sure was, yeah. No David Stern, so I will read the 11th pick. It was Alan Houston originally. The sport blokes. Select. 
Well, look, for this pick, I considered picking uh, one of two giants whose heads are way up high. Um, I also considered another guy who was up high for a different type of reason. But <laughs> I have settled with Rodney Rogers. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, it was an interesting one, this one. I really like the way he went about his career. He's, you know, he's a big left-handed guy coming out of Wake Forest. So he's actually, he left Wake Forest and the next year was replaced by a guy that was pretty decent, Nathan, you probably would have heard of, um, Tim Duncan. So <laughs> that was um, a pretty decent replacement for him there. So look, he was drafted pick nine. I think he had a pretty solid career, to be honest. He didn't put up crazy numbers there, but I think he's pretty pretty deserving of a draft pick in this spot. He played a lot of games. He didn't have a lot of personal accolades, but I think that's the point when you get into these sort of picks in the draft. He did win a six-man of the year award in 2000. He averaged over 15, one year with the Clippers. Um, had quite a lengthy career there, and that's probably the, the reason why I put him on there. Before I talk a little bit more about him, um, of course, his postseason, no, his, sorry, his post-career was really impacted by a dirt bike accident in uh, 2008 there. So he's actually paralyzed from the shoulders down as a result of this accident. So really sad story there. Rodney Rogers to me, look, I remember he's he's smooth looking, you know, left-handed shot there. Again, I think I've said it about every draft pick now, but probably someone whose game would have translated well in this era. He was a big boy. You know, he was a, a 230, 240-pound player back then. Bounced around a little bit, started off with the Nuggets, had some pretty solid years with the Clippers. He won his six-man of the year award with Phoenix. And then after that, he really did bounce around a lot. Boston, New Jersey, New Orleans, and, and Philadelphia to finish off his career there. So actually had 21 rebounds in a game, which I thought was pretty solid for him there. Um, yeah. But yeah, look, I think Rodney Rogers, it's, it, it was a tough one here. And you're sort of getting to that range with, I guess, some value-type uh, players there. He did play 866 games, which I think was yeah, the fourth most out of this draft class. So he's got to get a little bit of uh, credit from there. You know, he's also averaged 10.9 points. So the fact that he was a double-figure a game scorer was pretty big there. Also, I remember that game. I think he hit three three-pointers in nine seconds, uh, nine or ten seconds there. Yeah. Um, Oh, I forget. I, th- I think he was with Denver in that he game. He was. It was against Utah. Another okay, bit of trivia yeah. without notice. They actually lost that game because one of the Utah players hit a jump shot. Do you remember who that was? His namesake was a, uh, a mainstay. Oh, I think I know. Actually, I think I remember this. Yeah. Is his first name Jeff? Isn't his first name is Jeff? I was going to say yeah, one yeah. sec because no, 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 Jeff, oh, Malone, Jeff, Jeff Malone. Malone, Jeff Malone. Yeah, yeah. I do remember that now. Yeah, because everyone kind of you know he did those three three pointers in nine seconds, but they did lose the game. So I can actually picture that shot by Jeff Malone as well. So yeah. people that haven't seen that YouTube that I mean that was pretty amazing getting those three three pointers and like I said, such a big guy as well. There wasn't a lot of guys sort of his size that were putting up a lot of shots from downtown. You know, he wasn't that tall actually, six seven, but yeah, you know, like I said, a good two two thirty two forty pounds there. So pretty burly small forward that he was there so yeah look a pretty solid player you know that's probably you know like I said we're getting from this range in the draft now um you know not a lot of accolades but certainly helped a lot of those teams that he was on there yeah look I mean I actually compare him maybe not the same pedigree but I, I always think of Zion Williamson when I think of Rodney Rogers not just because they were left-handers but they both got that same sort of build if I'm not mistaken he might have been sixth man of the year once Right. Yeah, yeah, so that, yep, 2000, yep. Probably both yeah. both were fans of the buffet as well, I would have thought. <laughs> yeah, they both like to eat a, <laughs> eat a bit of food. Yeah. But um, it's hard to, like, everyone says Zion Williamson and Sean Kemp, they've got those comparisons. But when Zion Williamson came out, I just always thought of Roddy Rogers. So, uh, I mean, unfortunate what happened to him, but he's a very talented guy. And, like, you know, much, much before his time, he could stretch the floor, he could shoot that three-point, I think. He shot 40% one season when I was studying for this draft. I think uh, one season he was up to 
40% from the three-point line. So just a terrific player and uh, had, had longevity, as you said, man. What, what was he, the third third, third most games played out of this Fourth draft? Fourth most, yeah. And fun fact as well, boys, he wore number 54 for every team he played on. So obviously there wasn't a lot of competition for that number 54 on each team he went to. So a bit of a random number there. But yeah, 54 on all those teams that I mentioned that he played for. The stretch four stuff is what sticks out to me as well. A bit shorter than I remember, six, seven. Mm. And that was back in the day when you could almost count on two hands the amount of stretch fours in the entire league. George McLeod's another one that comes to mind, for example, Sam Perkins, those sort of guys. Whereas nowadays, you've probably got two or three on every team. So, yeah, that's what sticks in mind for me. Yeah, George McLeod's an interesting one. Like, he's he's one of these guys, I guess, he probably played a lot more three, but he was quite tall, six, eight. Like, he's deceptively mm. tall for uh, for a guy that you don't really sort of think about that much. But... Yeah, I kind of thought of him as a four because, he again, another rotund guy, maybe a little less athletic, less speedy. So kind of maybe, yeah, a bit more of a four in my mind. But yeah. No, look, Rogers, uh, really, really solid pick. I, I think I had him around about that number as well. So you could easily take a few guys, but I, I definitely loved how smooth he looked when he had the ball. A couple of really big tip dunks. Again, I remember one against your Spurs mm. that he came from. Oh, yes. Flying in off a miss from Jalen Rose and just threw one down one-handed. The left hand? But yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Yeah. He was one of these guys, like, he had some good career, you know, going back on what you said, Nate, earlier in the, the show. Like, he had some really good years later on with New Jersey. He was a really solid player for them in those playoff runs. As we've alluded to as well, brilliant with Phoenix as well. He had, had those really good couple of years. Definitely one of the players I had in mind when I made that comment, yeah. Yeah, so he definitely, you know, had some good stretches with a number of different teams. I think he was great with those Clippers as well, like those late 90s Clippers as they were sort of starting to build up towards something half-decent. So, yeah, I think that's a great pick. We'll conclude here at pick 12. Originally, it was George Lynch, and you could potentially make a case for him here. There's some interesting players. Maybe we'll do some of the on-court honourable mentions here and we'll save some of the weird and wonderful stories and and some of the other guys that weren't kind of on the cusp for the end after we do NBL. We'll talk NBL after this as well. So you could go with a few guys here. Isaiah Ryder, 563 games, nearly 17 points a game. How many of those were empty calories on those Timberwolves teams though? Obviously the uh, under the legs dunk in the dunk contest. I used to have a basketball card of that picture. One of my favourite basketball cards of all time. It was a hoops one. If I get in a slam dunk contest, I guarantee I'm taking it. I'm telling everybody now. Okay, J.R. Ryder, things will be exciting in Minnesota. <laughs> Chris Mills, 568 games, 11 and 5. Sean Bradley, 832 games. I'm going to be honest, that's more than I remember, but he did finish with Dallas, I guess. Maybe he was there longer than I recall. 8.1 and 6.3. Look. Even George Murasan had 10 a game. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, uh, one and a half blocks, maybe less blocks than I, I would have expected. But look I, look, I think I will go with Isaiah Ryder because of the scoring punch. Sure, he did have some off-court issues and maybe... Some. He, yeah, okay, a lot. <laughs> but really, yeah, I guess maybe we'll just talk about all those guys I just mentioned. The other couple I would like to mention as well were the undrafted, who had very good careers as well. Okay, maybe didn't put up great numbers, but were really handy players on some key teams. Bo Outlaw, 914 games, 5-5, five and five basically. And Aaron Williams was a key piece of some of those New Jersey teams that made the finals. Didn't clear that final hurdle, of course, but was a, a key player too. So a whole bunch of guys to talk about, I guess, guys. I mean, East Bay Funk Dunk, that's what you want to call it, right? That was the name of the dunk. Isaiah Ryder was incredible, but like I've, I've spoken about it on this on this episode many times. It's about the character of the individual, what you bring to the team, right? And Isaiah Ryder, 
by all reports, has really had a great post-career and, and built a pretty good life afterwards. But he was a cancer in the locker room, let's be on, honest. J.R. Ryder, Isaiah Ryder, he never fulfilled that talent, right? And I think it's unfortunate because he could have gone to bigger and better things if he had just stuck with it, been committed. Talked about a guy like Bruce Bowen, give a damn factor, right? I don't think Isaiah Ryder had that. So, that, yeah. Hey, Woods, I was so pissed off when the Hawks traded Steve Smith to, to Portland to get Isaiah Ryder. I just, it was one of those trades that did not sit well with me then. So, yeah, still think about it to this day. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's a boatload of things you can talk about. Obviously the the marijuana possession. He kicked a female manager in a sports bar once. He insubordinate with management and coaches, all, all of that sort of stuff. He actually got caught while well, he's with Atlanta, funnily enough. I think he was in Orlando and at a away game and got caught smoking weed in a hotel room. The league orders him into a, a drug rehab and he refused to go and they fined him about $200,000. So he cost himself a lot of money. He was constantly tardy to games and practice. Just one of those guys, incredible player on the court, but just not a great guy until after the fact when he kind of figured it out. I didn't know he kicked a female hey, manager. Did- I'd like to rescind my pick. <laughs> yeah, hey, he was ahead of his time, I guess. Though with with doing what he's doing, if he was doing some of those things now, that's probably considered a little bit more legal in the NBA, right? I mean, I know the you know the being tardy and you know all those other things like that, but you know some of these off court things there might be a little bit more accepted in this day and age. But yeah, it certainly really impacted his career, and he had so much talent, didn't he? He could start a podcast with Carl Anthony Towns, and they can just blaze up and talk shit together. And, and Stewie, man, I've heard about heard you on previous redraft podcasts on the Sport Blokes speak about guys like Latrell Spreeble and what your thoughts are on these these type of guys who, who who may be very talented but aren't the greatest they're not high character individuals so I, I get what you're saying man yeah well I mean this is the thing if you look at I guess the teams that he played for you know he he certainly didn't take Minnesota to the playoffs he didn't really do much with your Hawks uh, he was part of the Lakers team in or one of the seasons. He was part of a Lakers team. Jailblazers. But they, we, yeah, part of the, the Jailblazers too, who obviously was stacked. And like I said, empty calories a bit, but, with, particularly with Minnesota. But that Lakers team, they actually left him off the playoff roster. Wow. That's how bad it was. I mean, he still got a ring for it, but that says a lot when you're leaving a guy with his talent off the playoff roster because of presumably all the other shit. So, yeah, it's just a, a shame that he couldn't have really you know, just matured a little bit earlier and peaked in the dunk comp. Yeah, probably basically. Did. Guys, I've heard him on LA radio recently in the last year and he understands those mistakes he made and how he could, if he was to take it back again, the changes he would have made, right? So fair play to him, respect to him that he, he realizes that he made some mistakes in the past, but he's moving on and he's trying to be a better man now. So I've got to give him a lot of respect there. Yeah, well, look, Sean Bradley's a, another one that really comes to mind for me. He had a, a really impactful career. I, I agree with what you said, Nath. I was a little bit surprised about the amount of games that he did play as well. Yeah, you know, obviously everyone tried to dunk on him all the time and everything else like that, but he ended up putting up pretty pretty good numbers there. I'd forgot that he was born in Germany as well, doing my research there. So that was one that kind of stood out to me because I was looking at that first round there and there were so many American flags looking at the you know the Wikipedia page. I'm like, oh, that's right, Germany, um, West Germany, I believe. So someone I like, I've got that 76, um, number 76, Philadelphia 76 jersey in, in the cupboard. I'm a big fan of that one there. 
there. But, you know, he put up pretty solid numbers in the end, you know, eight and six, you know, he carved out a pretty decent career there. And probably while we're talking the Giants as well is, is George Murison. Unfortunately, he only played, um, you know, limited amount of seasons there. I think it was five seasons from memory. Most improved and, player as well, one season, right, Rob? Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah. Put up some really good numbers in those seasons as well. So, yeah, he's someone that I guess probably when you're carrying that much size, I mean, he, I don't know how much more he weighed than Sean Bradley, but it would have been a considerable amount there. So, um, yeah, he was someone that really was a fun player to watch with those Washington teams back in the day. But, yeah, they're two guys to me. I think they've got a lot of a lot of cult following, I guess. I mean, I've, I've got both of their jerseys for a reason. You know, they both wore cool numbers, you know, 76 and 77 based on their on their heights there. So they're two players that I'll, I'll certainly always remember from this draft. A couple of things for me, I guess, with these two, and obviously <laughs> you're wise to group them together given their monstrosity uh, <laughs> as far as their appearance is concerned oh, west germany you were right what oh i meant uh, they're huge oh, i don't mean they're like <laughs> the no. physical looks okay. no sorry i wasn't i wasn't commenting on their looks I, I, <laughs> you too you too you too i, I, was gonna you say, too. He, he, uh, I love it i love it i love it the first yeah, stone say. yeah i'm, I'm certainly uh yeah, exactly. when you look like me you can't come on not exactly oil paintings over here no definitely i'm it. definitely not <laughs> Uh, the uh, the couple of funny things with George Murasan. So one of my brothers, he was what is his favorite player. Not a massive basketball fan, but he was one of his favorite players because he thought that he sounded like Milo Kerrigan from Full Frontal. Oh wow! <laughs> and he yeah. kind of did. He, did he kind of did. Uh, oh, 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 oh. Um, What's that Romanian for? Yeah, that was an attempt at the. Yeah. Now another interesting thing with Sean Bradley, you're right, Robbie. West Germany, obviously, before the wall fell, a, a good mm. two decades, approximately, just under two decades before the, the wall fell. But I was listening to a Bill Simmons podcast not so long ago, and he was talking about Sean Bradley's highlights and how he kind of looked like Wemby, and I kind of scoffed at it. And then I saw them, and I saw his college highlights, and I watched the YouTube video of the 1993 draft. I was like, holy shit, there are some similarities with Wemby. Better dribbler than I realized, better handles, doing some open court dunks and all sorts of stuff, which kind of scares me a little bit with yeah. Wemby. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Sean Bradley probably didn't give him enough respect as a kid, I reckon. But uh, yeah, hey, the who other was thing the player of... that picked him up and body slammed him? Who was that? Nathan might remember that. That was with Dal- That was Mark Davis. From Philly. Yeah, okay, that sounds yeah. right. Yeah, that, that was hilarious, right? Yeah, him up and dumped him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Mark Davis. This guys, guy I haven't thought he... about in a long time. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, George Murison did a movie with Danny DeVito, was it? Uh, no, Billy Crystal it was. I'm so yeah. glad Billy you brought Crystal. that up. Yeah. yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. Because my next comment was going to be about the pop culture references, because there's another George Murison one that I didn't know about. I knew about the Marshall Billy Crystal one. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So he was on the, yep. the My Name Is film clip sure as was. the yep. tallest ventriloquist in the world at 7'7". And yep. I guess as a metalhead, that's why I missed that one. But it's a cool clip. I was wondering if you guys had seen that one because there's a look at the end of that I film love that clip one. where yeah. he just has this, this look on his face like he doesn't know where he is. It's, it's hilarious. <laughs> a couple of other things I've got. I'll, I'll start with Murasan, I guess, since we're talking about him. Really interesting. His parents are 5'9 and 5'7, so like proper average height. But he had this uh, wow. this pituitary gland condition called acromegaly, which cause the credible growth gargantuanism yeah basically yeah but um it's funny you brought up the 1996 most improved player award i actually think he robbed a fellow george and someone we spoke about just a a few minutes back george mcleod george mcleod went from 9.6 to 18.9 points a game with nearly five rebounds and one and a half steals a game 
Murasan only went up from about 10.5 to 14.9, I think. So I think George McLeod was actually screwed out of that award. Blocks went up a bit, didn't it? That year? Might, might have been a, a key factor, I guess. But yeah, I, I just think George McLeod yeah. was maybe a little bit hard done by with that one. Anyway, but yeah, Sean Bradley, I mean, as you sort of mentioned, Robbie, I guess everyone kind of thinks about, you know, the T-Mac dunk going down the baseline and the number of times that people tried to dunk on him. But I'll tell you what, he gave as good as he got and carved out a really, really incredible career. I would highly recommend if you guys haven't seen or anyone that's listening, there's there's a really, really interesting video. I wish I could remember the name of the guy, but it looks at the life that he's living now. So he unfortunately had that injury while he was out cycling in Utah and, and uh, basically ended up as a, I think he's a quadriplegic as well. And uh, yeah, basically just the life that he's leading now with his wife and the struggles that they go through. They're obviously very fortunate that he made as much money as he did to be able to kind of fund a lot of that stuff. But... Well, and I think his faith is big too. So he's a Mormon. He actually missed two seasons yeah. after the draft to do a Mormon pilgrimage in Australia of all places. In Sydney, in the hills. In Sydney, in the hills, man. He, oh, went to a friend, man. he went to a friend of mine's house, Woods, and you'll know the guys that I'm talking about there of the same religion there, right? The Mormons there. So oh, I went do, to, man. He I went to, to my boy Aaron's house back in the day there. I remember he sort yeah, of went to you know, school, uh, tallest yeah. guy he's ever you know seen in the whole world sort of thing. So, yeah, that was pretty funny. That was, there um, you go. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. What do you want to talk about, Cal? Oh man, like Calvacini, man, like that guy, like back then we used to get one or two games on the TV, man, a, a college game, an NBA game, and like, you know, shout out to the state of Indiana, but uh, Chini's prospects were massive, man. I, I know he never filled those shoes or he was never able to stay healthy, but you know, he still averaged nine points, three, I think something like three assists a game during his career. It was the longest career. 825 man. games. So more than you think, 825 games, 9.5 points, three boards, and 1.7 assists. Okay, so I got it wrong. Okay, so, oh, yeah. But, I mean, imagine if he got to Indiana, he probably wouldn't have to shoulder that load that he did in Washington. Yeah, but I would have taken him at around 13 or 14, right? Where I think a Scott Haskin or a Terry DeHia went, I think, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, it would have been. What about um, James Hollywood Robinson? No love for him? Yeah, Bullets, Wizards, Celtics, Nuggets, Utah Jazz, and I think the Warriors. I think his best season came with the Wizards when Weber came over there in 94, 95, right? And uh, yeah, I just I was a big fan of his game. I, I expected a lot more from him than what he actually achieved, but I was a big fan of him, man. Yeah, I remember seeing a lot of his college highlights. We used to get quite a lot of Indiana games back on the ABC in the 90s, so always kind of was interested in his career. I'm not sure if um, Andrew Gaze might have had one year with him maybe in that those late 90s Washington team. It could have possibly been, oh, fair possibly chance. been teammates yeah. there. Although yeah, so. Gaze was there in 94-ish, wasn't he? 93, 94 She was with the Spurs in the late 90s. Yeah, well, well yeah, true. Or maybe it was yeah, more the, the mid sort of 90s. You might have had a chance to, to play with him. But yeah, definitely a solid player. He was probably one of those next players on my big yeah. board there. Chris Mills was another one that I think probably had to go close to getting drafted in the top 12. He put up pretty solid numbers without being spectacular. And probably the only, I mentioned James Hollywood Robinson back in the day. He was someone I always liked his highlights there. He, he was always capable of having a good play on the top 10 players and that there. But um, And just again, with some of those undrafted players you maybe brought up as well, Nath, Aaron Williams is someone I was as a fan of Bo Leal, uh, sorry Bo Outler, I mean. So um, yeah, there's definitely some some good players that you know fill out that first round. Pretty weak second round though, if you look deep into this draft, there's a lot of players that never even played a game in the NBA. But I guess that's 11, the nature of second round picks. Eleven players in that second round didn't play a single game. Yeah, and Stewie, yeah, uh, uh, 
you are right. He did go sixth, but like if on my board, I had him at thirteenth or fourteenth, Calbertini, right? So that's fair. Yeah, that's that's probably about right to be honest. Yeah. But yeah, Calbertini, he was he's actually the all time leading scorer in Big Ten history, ahead of Sean Respert yeah. and Glenn Rice. So. Uh, yeah. A couple of very, very good college uh, college players. There's Sean Respite, not quite as good for Milwaukee in the, the big no, ways. But, but Glenn Rice had a very Glenn good Glenn Rice was, was very good. Yeah. Uh, Cal Cheney was actually in a another music video, funnily enough, Crystal Waters' song, Say If You Feel All Right, with Jawan Howard, Ben Wallace, and Ashram Amaya. So a lot of, uh, a lot of pop culture references today. Hey, one guy I wanted to mention as well. We mentioned um, Isaiah Ryder and some of the things he liked doing off court. Um, do you remember Corey Blunt? Or I think you know it's Corey Blount, but they used to call him Corey Blount. <laughs> reading a little uh, story about him. Do you remember his love story? That guy. So he was arrested in 2008 for possession of 29 pounds of marijuana, right? And apparently the um, he told the judge it was for personal use. Um, <laughs> the, judge, the judge then replied, Cheech and Chong would have had a hard time smoking that much. So I thought that was a pretty good story as well. He had um, he had a pretty lengthy career, actually. He was, um, you know, a good, like, 11 or 12-year career. Yeah, 644 so. games. Yeah. Yeah, yep. interesting, right? Yep. Wasn't he one of Michael Jordan's punching bags on those Bulls teams so from the last dance? I remember him copying yeah, a little bit from very- well, very well could have been, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah him and Scotty Burrell. There's, there's a the few. Draft, yeah. oh, that might be who yeah, I'm thinking of, actually. Yeah, it might be Scotty Burrell. Same draft class, funnily enough. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's, course, let's yeah. talk about a couple of these. So Chris Mills was one that you brought up before, Robbie. So, mm-hmm. yeah, one of these guys, not too athletic, didn't really have an elite level sort of shot, but was, was a solid player, I guess, with Cleveland for quite a bit. Second half of the career was a bit average, a lot of injuries, that sort of stuff. Yeah, he had a, a bit of a scandal going into the, uh, just before going into the draft, University of Kentucky. Uh, there was a booster who basically sent a package with a whole bunch of money and a, a video to his dad. And so there was a, there was a big hoo-ha there. But, uh, geez, I'll tell you what, man, he's a, a hell of a rapper. Like, there was the song Something to, Something to Groove To on that 94 album, B-Ball's Best Kept Secret, which I know you've got, uh, Woody, uh, Robbie, I don't know if you've got it as well. Yeah, I've got that too, yeah. Yep. Cracking, cracking tune. Hey, good little fact I'm reading about um, Chris Mills here. So in 1999, in a, in a game against the Dallas Mavericks, <laughs> after a jump ball, Mills yeah. attempted to make a basket, but on the wrong side of the court. Um, then it said his shot ended up being blocked by opposing player Samaki Walker, which was um, pretty interesting. There. It wasn't yeah. even blocked. Samaki Walker actually fouled him. Yeah, can't well, be, can it be a shooting foul when you're shooting on the wrong rim? <laughs> point, know, yeah. get, was... get the Benny Hill music out for that player, right? <laughs> yeah, no exactly. kidding. I mean, who, who else have we got? Like Lucius Harris is an interesting one, actually. Yeah, yes. again, yes. I talked about Aaron Williams. He was a very important piece on those Nets teams too that made the finals. What about some years. Chris Whitney as well, boys? <laughs> Chris Whitney. Oh, that's classic. Um, random fact just quickly about Lucius Harris. He actually won Eastern Conference Player of the Week in December 2002. The um, didn't put up like huge numbers, you know, about uh, about sort of 20 something points a game. But it's uh, yeah, it's just so weird seeing someone like him. And I, I funnily enough, I ran through a list of people who had won a Conference Player of the Week. I've got, got to run you through a few of these guys. So Chris Wilcox, a very random oh, one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Dion, with Seattle or with Seattle, yep. yep. Dion Waiters, love that guy. Grievous Vasquez, Elliot Perry, Markeith Morris, Grievous Bodily Harm Vasquez, <laughs> yes, yeah. Oliver Socks. Miller, Aaron McKee, Vashon Leonard, George Hill, Bobby Hansen's a really random one. Marcin oh. Gortat, T.J. Ford, Jordan Crawford, and Derek Anderson. Some very random players. In oh, there. Derek Anderson. I used to love, I was gutted when he left the Spurs and his career was so downhill after he left us. Another yeah. one of my favourites, Derek Anderson. Yeah. Yeah. Great, yeah. great yeah. career. Or, yeah, Jordan Crawford, man. I remember that was at Boston, right? Uh, would have been, yeah. 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 Uh, 
But if you're only playing two or three games in a week and you catch fire, you can see how some of the lesser lights can get a player True. of the week here. True. Probably the only other one I kind of wanted to just quickly talk about, Bo Outlaw. It was mm. it was a really interesting one. Six foot eight, but he, he sits top 20 all time in field goal percentage, just under 57, well ahead of the career 52.1% free throw clip that he shot. Yeah, another one of those. And the only other guys in the top 20 that are below 6'10", Montrez Harrell and Amir Johnson. So incredible uh, efficiency for him, a guy who knew his game, didn't try anything he wasn't capable of. I've got a, a couple of things I just want to quickly talk about. April 17th, 1998, Outlaw, 25 points, 13 rebounds, 10 assists in a win over the Nets. After the game, the reporters asked him how he felt about his first triple-double. Outlaw famously responded, what's that, some kind of hamburger? <laughs> there you go. Hey, hey, Stewie, man, while we're talking about Bo Outlaw, right, shout out to Matt Clayton, Robbie's brother, <laughs> one, of the most, one of the most respected Formula One journalists in the country. And he has a, a, a great experience with Bo Atlas. So, Robbie, maybe I'll throw it over to you, man. Why don't you tell tell the audience a little bit about the experience your bro had with Bo Atlas? Yeah, my brother was a big Clippers fan and went on a bit of an NBA tour. And I think he was um, staying in the same hotel as Bo Outlaw and they got in the lift together or something and um, had a bit of a chat and Bo Outlaw invited him down to the to the lobby for a drink. So they went down and had a had a beer or something after the game there. He said he was just one of the all-time nicest blokes. So I thought that was a pretty cool story. And that's the sort of thing you'd remember, right? You go and watch your team play and end up having a beer with one of the lesser-known players and that's probably someone you're going to be, be a fan of for life there. That's awesome. And he also rocked the Coggles as well. And uh, they had Horace Grant oh, and then yeah. Bo Outlaw. So the Magic had a few blokes rocking the Coggles back in the day. He was very unlucky not to be an all-defensive team player. He had just under two and a half blocks and just under one and a half steals a game in 97-98. Didn't even make the all-defensive second team, which was disgraceful. So we'll quickly talk about some of the guys that played in the NBL, obviously, as Aussie and NBL fans. A couple of Sydney guys at the top. Maybe I'll throw to you after these two Woody. AC Earl was picked at number 19 to Boston, played 21 games with the Sydney Kings in 99-2000. I've got to say, the stats are better than I remember. 21 points per game, basically, 12 boards, two and a half assists, three steals and a block. He once had 25 boards in a game. And then the other was Evers Burns, 31 to Sacramento, 16 and a half points per game, 9.5 rebounds per game, basically, in 22 games with Sydney in 98. I don't know how much you remember about those blokes. Well, let's start with ACL, man. Like, when he came to Sydney, it was just... Now you you have NBA guys coming to the league again, and, you know, the NBL is a place to be. But back then, you didn't have that that often, right? And uh, when he came to Australia, it was just amazing to get a guy of that pedigree come here. He left and he played in France, I think, from memory for a while. Then he played in the CBA. But the game has changed a lot since back then, Nate. But, um, yeah, having him in Sydney was great. And you, you even see... Uh, a few like Sydney Kings lifers wearing uh, ACL jerseys, right? Which is which is terrific, right? Evers Burns, I don't remember that much. He was a, for a short time. He was at Sydney, right? Yeah, only played twenty two games, basically a season. So you can be forgiven for forgetting him, and that was over twenty years ago, twenty five years ago now. So yeah, I mean, I remember him, Ken McClary and uh, uh, and and Dwayne McLean left, and you had like Mario Donaldson, and you guys Leon. know that ninety seven nine. Leon Trimmingham and Mario Donaldson left. Um, there was a a little period in, in Australian basketball where it, and in Sydney basketball where things were a bit slow, right? So I think Evers, Evers Burns came in during that time, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, that would be about right, actually. 
The big one, of course, from this draft class is Darnell May. He was picked 34 to Golden State, but in the NBL, he had a massive career, 362 games. I forget he started with Canberra in 96, then played in Adelaide on some championship teams as well, Cairns for a season, Wollongong, and then another four seasons in Cairns. Career averages of 14 points per game, five and a half rebounds, five assists, and two steals, and a block. So one of the absolute legends of the NBL, one of the best imports we've ever had, and just a defensive and playmaking beast. Yeah, he was definitely someone that Woody and I both loved back in the day. Another one of those players that I remember seeing, um, you know, in a college game on the ABC for Western Kentucky. His his surname stood out to me, you know, his long socks and just his length and that. But yeah, great player. Obviously, you know, went on to become a boomer and everything else like that. So yeah, he's he's definitely like you said, Nathan, one of the best imports that's um, graced our shores. And then I guess the other good one from this draft class before we talk about the two others is Adonis Jordan, who's picked up forty two to Seattle. Average 19, well, nearly 20 points per game, nearly three rebounds per game, six assists per game in 76 games for Southeast Melbourne, Victoria, and Townsville. Now, I don't remember that, but it was only four games. I'll be honest, I don't even remember him playing for Victoria. I don't either. No, Southeast Melbourne's the only. Yeah, me too. Like, I remember him. He never left, never left Victoria as well, boys. He's still there in coaching. He's still, yeah, he's still there. No, he's still there. Yeah, yeah, not one of those lifers. Yeah, I did see that. I mean, he was one of these guys. He was impossible to keep in front of you. Decent jump shot on him. So obviously if you, you sag off him trying to stay in front, he's going to hit you with a jump shot. But yeah, that, that was a an incredibly good Southeast Melbourne team. And I mean, most of the teams in the 90s for the Magic were were pretty top quality. But yes, and they like their speedy import point guards. They had uh, Scooter Barry as well around oh, that Scooter time. Scooter Barry. Yeah, so yeah. no. If, very I, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, guys, Adonis Jordan may have been in blue chips as well, right? You've, yeah, I've, I've got a note here. He was an extra in blue chips. You've yeah. beat me to the punch. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Oh. This draft class was actually... There was a lot of people in blue chips. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. so. Mm. And also a Perth Wildcats connection as well, Nathan. You're probably going to be reading out soon, right? Yes, indeed. Thank you for that segue, Robbie. Perfect. <laughs> Thomas Hill at 39 to Indiana. Average nine yeah. and a half points, two and a half rebounds, two and a half assists in only nine games for Perth in 1998. Was that the same season we had Charles Goser? We had a bit of a... Uh, I don't know, revolving a, a revolving door, door yeah. of imports Ooh, there for a while, didn't we? David Van Dyke time. Yeah, oh, I love David Van Dyke. Then the other one was Todd Munt, who was undrafted, 11.5 points per game, five rebounds per game in 55 games in two seasons with Newcastle and one at the end, age 34, with Wollongong that I also forget. Yeah, look, I don't, I wasn't a big fan of Thomas Hill's uh, effort for the for the Wildcats. I think he was. everyone was always wondering, is he related to Grant Hill? No, clearly wasn't. Um, he clearly <laughs> didn't have any of that game that Grant Hill had as well. But yeah, not a lot of fond memories of him. Todd Munn, I just remember the guy as being a massive human being, you know, and obviously, you know, was with the Hawks as well. You know, I think he, he played a, a handful of games maybe for the Atlanta Hawks over a season there. So that was always a name when he came out of here. It was like, oh, that's the, you know, the guy that played for, for Atlanta. So yeah, two interesting names there. Probably remember Munt a more fondly than I do Thomas Hill. All right, boys. Well, this has been an incredibly enjoyable episode. It always is when we get together with you guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Plug away. We've got to uh, open the door to allow you to tell our listeners who may not be aware of you where they can find you and where they can listen to all the great stuff you guys do. Of course. So yeah, you'll find us on Throwback Hoops. We do a weekly YouTube and uh, slash podcast show there. So we love to feature all our old jerseys. I didn't bring it up in the show, boys, but I did a bit of a tally. So I've got jerseys of hey, 14, hey, 14 of these players. Oh, yeah, so, so go through them. Which, four, 
Which four okay, team you got, so man? Okay, so what are the lists here? I had a list, so basically Weber, Sean Bradley, Penny Hardaway, Jamal Mashburn, J.R. Ryder, Calvert Chaney, Vin Baker, Lindsay Hunter, Alan Houston, Sam Cassell, George Murasan, Nick Van Exel, and then I think also like you, Woods, uh, Daniel Mee, NBL jersey. So that's rounding out that that list there. So, um, yeah, definitely a draft that's fun for me. But look, in terms of the, the throwback hoop show, um, you yeah, know, we love talking old school NBA, showing off our jerseys, you know, and we cover all things in the, in the basketball world, whether it's NBA and NBL. So as I said, so search for Throwback Hoops on YouTube or wherever you uh, download your podcast. We're also pretty active on socials as well. So if you look for us on Twitter slash X, we're at Throwbacks Hoops is probably the best place to find us there. All right, Nathan, you know what that music means. Final thoughts time. Yeah, well, that's the end of our two-week extravaganza with six different guests. It's been a lot of fun, hasn't it? Following on from our NBL and NBA, whatever you want to call it. Extravaganza works. Yeah, so lots of fun. Massive thank you again to Woody and Robbie for joining us. I don't think it would have been the same without them. So, yeah, great fun. Well, you could definitely say it wouldn't have been the same without them because it would have just been the two of us. That's true. Regardless, it wouldn't have been the same. But it wouldn't have been as good or as fun without them. Absolutely. Maybe we'll get them on again in a future episode. Absolutely. Until next time, I'm Stuart. And I'm Nate. We are the Sport Blokes.